Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how's your week been treating you? We're, we're back at spring training. We're getting lots of pictures and video through through fe- chain link fences. The best <laughs> best content we get all year. How are you enjoying it so far? I've got spring fever, Josh. The weather's warming up in the Northeast. I'm seeing all these videos, like you said, from Arizona and Florida. I'm thinking, ah, you hear the sound of the ball hitting the mitt. You know, you're thinking, okay, that's a good thing. So I'm perking up. Yeah, really fantastic video on Twitter today by Cespedes Family Barbecue. I'll go ahead and link to it in the show notes. Uh, just a, a little fun riff on all these, all the reporter, the poor quality reporter phone videos that happen every year at spring training. I don't know if you saw that one, John. I didn't, but I saw some of those poor quality. I'm like, I can't even squint and see that picture way off in the distance. And you want me to look at his form? Are you kidding? My all-time <laughs> favorite was from 2014 spring training. I don't remember who it was. But somebody took a picture of Craig Gentry when he was with the A's, and the photo uh-huh. was through about 12 layers of chain link fence. It was <laughs> one of the worst photos I've ever seen, but it was it was incredible in a whole other way. Yeah. Well, they're trying. <laughs> yes. And there's only, especially this year, there's only so much they can do, the, the handful of them that did make the trip. Yeah. So... Speaking of only so much we can do, there wasn't a whole lot of news this last week. Um, it's going to be a bit of a different show today. Uh, we're not going to start with the news. We're going to open with a bit of a game here uh, and then jump into some site updates, jump into the trade of the week, and then get to the news because, like I said, it's it's uh, slim pickings as far as signings and trades go from the last week. Some real minor stuff. We'll still get into it like we always do, but uh, we're going to open with some more of the fun stuff here. So are you ready for it? I'm ready. Awesome. So this game that we're going to open with, it's, it's probably a little bit more convoluted than it needs to be. It was the best way I could think of to, to kind of work it out. Uh, so I, I've been thinking all offseason that there have been a lot of one-year deals for starting pitchers. Almost every starting pitcher that has signed has signed a one-year deal, um, at least at least a one-year deal with a club option, if not just a straight one-year deal altogether. I think the only exceptions have been Taiwan Walker Mike Miner and Trevor Bauer. Um, everyone else is on a one-year deal for the most part. So it got me thinking that, okay, there's a lot of these guys on a similar type of deal. Most of them are in a similar type of price range. How well are teams actually doing in, in properly pricing these guys, especially since some of some players that ended up in the same in the same dollar amount, I had my I was scratching my head a little bit. At, huh? are, are we sure we're valuing these two guys exactly the same? So I turned it into a bit of a game. Um, I have I have a bracket set up, you know, like your traditional March Madness bracket. Yeah. And it's all of the pitchers, and let's see how many there are. It looks like there's 27 pitchers that I have here. And these are the guys who signed a one-year deal between $2 million and $11 million. And they're all guaranteed full major league deals. So we're not including Charlie Morton here because he's really a cut above all these guys, but he still did sign a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um but, but just the, the top range here is Corey Kluber's one year, 11 million, and the bottom is Mike Fultonavich, 2 million. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do here is we're actually going to have two rounds to this game. So the first round, I'm going to ask you, and these, these players are all seated according to their uh, salaries. You know, you know, traditional March Madness seating where the highest salaries facing off against the lowest salary, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so the first time we go through this, I'm going to give you each matchup. And you're going to tell me which one you think will have the best 2021. And then we'll look through that. And I, I have the projected uh, depth charts 
Fangraph's war numbers here as well, so we can go over that and see how <laughs> how well you did at predicting at least what the projection system thinks, uh, which players the projection system thinks will perform the best. Okay. And then we'll run through it again, and I'll give you the contract values, and you'll tell me which one, which player of the matchup you believe has the better surp the higher surplus value. Okay. So basically, which which team was a better, which player was a better signing for their team? Yep. Yep. Uh, so might might sound a little complicated at first to the listeners, but I promise it'll make sense as we go along. So let's just jump into it. And as a reminder, this first time through, you're picking which player will have the better 2021 season. Okay. First matchup, and just because of the, the odd nature of the numbers and everything, uh, a couple players got first round buys. That would be Corey Kluber, James Paxton, Drew Smiley, and Garrett Richards. So they'll be in the second round. Okay. First matchup of the first round, Jose Arrena and Mike Fires. Oh, that's close. Um, Which one's going to have the better 2021 season, just on pure numbers? Yes. Uh, I'm going to lean Urania. Okay, going young, going with a little bit of upside there. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Next matchup will be Robbie Ray and Tyler Anderson. Robbie Ray. All right. Then we're going Chris Archer and Trevor Williams. Chris Archer. Okay. Next one is Martin Perez and Alex Wood. That's a tough one because Alex Wood is injured so much. He can barely stay alive. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But the projection systems always like him. So I'm going to lean Wood. I'm going to go Wood here. Okay. Jose Quintana and Mike Fultonavich. Quintana. Yeah, that one feels really easy to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, John Lester and Matt Moore. Um, well, that's a tough one because Moore was out of the country, uh, so right. it's hard to predict him. So, but Lester's so kind of he's been in decline for so long, and he's old, and there's not much left in the tank. It's tight. I'm gonna go Lester though. Alrighty, that that is one of the closer ones on here. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another close one though. Aaron Sanchez, Tyler Chatwood. Well, Chatwood, I just saw something that he's going to be used as a reliever. So yes, I, I did forget act. that caveat. There are, there are two or three players in here who might be used as relievers, and so that makes things a little bit wonky here. But uh, I figured I'd include him anyway. He's a bit of a swingman type. Okay, and, Aaron, so and Aaron Sanchez kind of is, too. I mean, Aaron Sanchez is good. He's, he had one good season, <laughs> and he fell apart, and is having healthy. So I'm going to go Sanchez just because he's a starter, and there's some mm-hmm. slight twinge of upside there. <clears throat> Alrighty. Next, we're going to go Jay Happ and Brett Anderson. I'm going to lean Jay Happ there. Okay. Then Anthony Desclafani, Rich Hill. Uh, Desclafani, just because he's younger and more durable. Yeah, the innings difference there is yeah. probably going to be pretty significant. Yeah. All right. Chase Anderson, Carlos Rodon. Chase Anderson, also more durable, and Rodon has a lot of reliever risk. Right. I'm not gonna. I'm not even sure if he's gonna get a starting job because he didn't. He kind of fell off the map there last year. Okay. Adam Wainwright, Matt Shoemaker. Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, sheesh. I guess I'm gonna go Wainwright. Just even though he's older and in decline, he he actually perked up a little bit last year. I don't know. I think I'm a Wainwright just by a nose. And last one of the first round is Jake Arietta, Michael Waka. Uh, I'm going to go Waka. 
Okay. All right, now we're moving on to the second round here. I don't know if you want to stand up and stretch or something, but, uh, no, I'm good, but I'm here good. we go. Here we go. Yep. First one, I imagine this one will be a little easy. Corey Kluber or Jose Urania? Who knows what Kluber's got, but he's he got to go Kluber here. Just, just right. on the probability that if he's healthy, he's much better. It's possible for Kluber to throw 50 innings and still outproduce Arania over yeah. 120. <laughs> exactly. This one's real interesting. I like this one a lot. Robbie Ray, Chris Archer. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's close because Robbie Ray fell apart last year, but he's possibly going to turn him back around. But then you could say the same thing for Archer, but then Archer had the shoulder, shoulder surgery, and who knows if he can throw. I'm going to go Robbie Ray here. All righty. Next up, it's, it's another really similar matchup here. It's James Paxton and Alex Wood. I got to go Paxton here because even though Paxton also has injury issues, at least he stays on the mound a little bit more than Wood does. So, mm-hmm. And I actually think he's better. So, uh, and he's younger, uh, correct? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually, you look back at his fan gra- I mean, he had, he like, was it two years ago? He pitched almost a full season. So mm-hmm. he's, I, I trust him more. Okay, Jose Quintana, John Lester. Quintana. Yeah, that one feels pretty easy. Drew Smiley, Aaron Sanchez. Smiley. Yep. <laughs> All right, Anthony Desclafani or Jay Happ. Hmm. That one's close, but I'm going to lean Desclafani there. Mm-hmm. Garrett Richards, Chase Anderson. Uh, also close... I'm going to go Richards. Okay, and last one of the second round, Adam Wainwright, Michael Waka. Uh, I am going to sneaky I'm sneaky pick this one and go Waka. <laughs> all right, I like it. <laughs> it, it, it. I agree, it's real hard to trust yeah. Adam Wainwright at yeah. all. Yeah, but their names are so close in the alphabet, W-A-W-A. <laughs> and former Cardinal, <laughs> yeah, Michael right. Waka. Yeah, <laughs> Okay, round three, quarterfinals here. Corey Kluber and uh, Robbie Ray. Um, for the same logic, I'm going to go Kluber there. And then we got James Paxton, Jose Quintana. I like Quintana. I really do. I think he's gonna. He's more durable than, than Paxton. So, But now it's, it's getting very close. Yeah, that's an interesting matchup there of obviously plenty of upside with Paxton and plenty of injury risk. And then Quintana has been more of the durable type throughout his career and then missed all of last season with the weird freak thumb. Yeah, but that Did wasn't a baseball. Or... Yeah. That wasn't a baseball injury, though. I'll, yeah. I'm going to forgive that. Yeah. It was a kitchen right. accident or some sort. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Smiley, Anthony Desclafani. Smiley. And Garrett Richards, Michael Waka. Here, I'm going to go Richards. Okay, we are into the semifinals. We got Corey Kluber, Jose Quintana. Who's going to have the better year, just as a reminder? Just pure stats. Um, I'm going to go Quintana. Alrighty. And then the other uh, semifinal matchup, Drew Smiley, Garrett Richards. Smiley. Okay, so then that leaves us with the finals and with the consolation. Uh, so finals, Jose Quintana, Drew Smiley. Smiley. Okay, interesting. So, you, so <laughs> through through this account here, you like 
Smiley the best of all of the one-year starting pitchers outside yeah. of the uh, the Gosman, Stroman yeah. tier. Yeah, I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then here in the in a third-place matchup, Kluber or Richards? Uh, Kluber. Okay. So now we have this whole bracket together. Now I'll pull up my spreadsheet here and go ahead and sort by projected war. So you picked Smiley as your favorite. Smiley mm-hmm. projects for the sixth highest F war, according to Fangrass depth charts, um, among these one-year started pitchers. So that's sixth out of 28 pitchers mm-hmm. at 1.5. Mm-hmm. And, and important caveat here, Number one, these are Fangraph's depth depth chart projections. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen yet. Caveat Mm -hmm. number two, there is an error bar on wins above replacement here. So at at, at a point here, some of these numbers are basically the same. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you care to guess who the number one pitcher projected uh, F4 is? Kluber. Correct. He's at 2.7. We got Mm -hmm. Paxton right behind him at Mm 2.1. Ray at Mm 2. Quintana, who was your runner-up. Mm-hmm. at 1.8 archer 1.7 which is a little surprising to me richards who you had in fourth at 1.4 and then i'm not going to read through this whole list but <laughs> it, it goes down from there yeah. i'd say uh one of the other ones that's kind of interesting uh that went a little bit farther than i expected michael waka he's projected for 0.7 and mm-hmm. you brought him to the quarterfinals <laughs> yep I like okay. the because uh, yeah. the Rays see something in him, and they have a tendency to, you know, nurture that. Their player development is really good, um, mm-hmm. so I think they're gonna. I think he's gonna, you know, turn around a little bit. Now, you know, I mean, <clears throat> they're not perfect. No team's perfect, but but if they see something in him, then I'm gonna take that. The other thing is, you know, projection systems, um, and we know this because we we traffic in them all the time. Um, they take into account kind of the broader picture and sort of average it out or, mm-hmm. you know, wait the last year a little bit more than the previous year and more than that the previous year. So they're looking at the last three years of data. Um, but what that doesn't necessarily measure accurately is kind of the uptrend. And the thing with Smiley is he had a very sort of promising uptrend at the end of 2020. His last six or seven starts were really good. And he had turned it around after Tommy John. And they don't really take that into account as much, which is why I favored him. Yeah, I think I think that's a very and fair th- point. And I, and I think that's why he got a good deal as well. <clears throat> okay, are you ready for the second run through here of this of this bracket? Okay. So as a reminder, this time I'm asking you which player you believe will have the higher or has, excuse me, the higher surplus value. So which player was the better signing? And, and some of this. You know, some of this you'll already know. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you'll remember. Oh, I put this guy's number in here, and he came out to this. But I, I'm hoping <laughs> that there's enough names in here, and that it's been long enough, and that you have enough else going on in your life yes. <laughs> that that it's it's not all stored in there anywhere. No, so. I don't memorize these. Okay. All right, so let's get going with this one then. So first up, again, it's the same bracket here. So we've got Jose Arena who was signed to a one-year... These are all one-year deals, except for uh, Garrett Richards, who also had a club mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Urania, 3.25 mil. And Fires, 3.5. Well, I know Fires, um, we're quite low on him. So, you know, that's an overpay. So, I got to go Urania here for the better surplus value. Okay. But it's close, yeah. Robbie Ray, Tyler Anderson. 
Uh, uh, excuse me, I need to give you the. Sorry, I need to give you the contract amounts. Robbie Ray, eight million. Tyler Anderson, two point five million. I go Ray. Okay. Chris Archer, Trevor Williams. We got Chris Archer at six point five million, and Trevor Williams at two point five. Archer. Okay. Martin Perez, Alex Wood. Martin Perez at five million. Alex Wood at three million. Wood. Okay. Although I'm not sure, I have to think about that because <laughs> Perez is undervalued often too, so that's a close one. But I mean, Wood's a good deal because three million, and if he's sell, yeah, I think there's surplus there. Yeah. All right, Jose Quintana at I believe it's yeah eight million, or Mike Fultonevich at two million. That's interesting because Fultonevich is such an odd duck here because um, he kind of fell off the map last year, but he was reasonably good before that and two million isn't much to pay uh but quintana has i mean that's decent value at eight that's a tough one i'm gonna go full to nevich though because two million is so low all righty then we're john lester at five sorry i have to look through the spreadsheet every time john lester at five million and uh matt moore at three million I'm going to say Matt Moore. Okay. Let me go ahead and put that in. Next up is Aaron Sanchez at $4 million, or Tyler Chatwood at $3 million. Sanchez. Despite. <laughs> I, I don't have confidence. <laughs> that didn't sound like a very confident or it's excited not, Sanchez. It's not. Because I just, I, uh, Chatwood's going into the bullpen. I just, I can't mm-hmm. see much. Yeah. Okay. J-Hap at 8 million or Brett Anderson at 2.25 or excuse me 2.5 million Brett Anderson yeah all righty guy gets no respect <laughs> it seems like he's signed the exact same five off seasons in a row <laughs> he just keeps slinging it out there I mean, you know he throws what 70 miles an hour but it's <laughs> gets ground ball at <laughs> all right Anthony Desclafani at six mil or rich hill at 2.5 rich hill interesting chase anderson at four mil or carlos rodan at three mil chase anderson okay adam wainwright (laughs) at eight mil i think i already know the answer to this one (laughs) or matt shoemaker at two mil shoemaker Yep, and then Jake Arietta at uh, where is that six mil, or Michael Waka at three mil. Waka. Yeah, those two were pretty obvious. <laughs> we've we've <laughs> talked about both of yeah. those guys in the past as as just really surprising veteran overpays on their current deals. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're on to the next round, round two here. We got Corey Kluber. At 11 million, or Jose Arania at 3.25. So who has the more surplus, better surplus? Yes. Uh, Kluber. Okay. Robbie Ray at 8 million, or Chris Archer at 6.5. Mm, close, but I'm gonna go Ray. Okay. James Paxton at eight and a half, or Alex Wood at three. Uh, close again. 
Um, wood. Alrighty. Mike Fultonevich at two, or Matt Moore at three? Um, Fultonevich. Then Drew Smiley at 11, or Aaron Sanchez at four? Uh, hmm, that's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Smiley. I'm probably going to be wrong, though. <laughs> All right, then Brett Anderson at two and a half, or Rich Hill at two and a half? Uh, Anderson. Okay. Then we're going Garrett Richards at 10 mil, and then another club option for 10 mil, but let's just call it 10 mil flat for the purposes of this. <laughs> or Chase Anderson at 4 mil? Uh, Chase Anderson. Alrighty. Last one of this round. Matt Shoemaker at 2 mil, or Michael Waka at 3? Mm-hmm. Shoemaker. Okay. Now I believe we're on to the quarterfinals. Yes. Corey Kluber, 11 million. Robbie Ray, 8 million. And Ray. Alrighty. Then Alex Wood at 3 million or Mike, Mike Fultonevich at 2 million? Wood. Then Drew Smiley at 11 million or Brett Anderson at 2.5? Anderson. Interesting. I, I like that you're, you're carrying Anderson all the way through here. And then Chase Anderson at four mil or Matt Shoemaker at two. Uh, Shoemaker. Okay. Semifinals. You've got Robbie Ray at eight, Alex Wood at three. Uh, Ray. Okay. And then Brett Anderson at two and a half, or Matt Shoemaker at two? Mm, Anderson. Bold, I like it. <laughs> All right, your final matchup is Robbie Ray at eight, or Brett Anderson, shocking the world, <laughs> two and a half? Uh, <laughs> Anderson. Uh, you might as well stick to your guns <laughs> yeah. at that point. There you go. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you're gonna like where this one ends up, but I'm I, sure I I'm not. You for sticking to your guns there. And then the uh, <laughs> consolation match: Alex Wood or Matt Shoemaker. Alex Wood at three, Matt Shoemaker at two. Uh, I'll go Wood there. Okay. This one turned out a lot more interesting than I expected. I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so if I go ahead and sort this list by the highest surplus. How many of the top 10 pitchers do you think made your top 10? Oh, no, probably not very many because <laughs> I don't memorize the surplus numbers. <clears throat> right. Um, so three? I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I'll tell you right now you missed out on the top one. Yeah. We have Anthony Desclafani at 2 mil in surplus. And that, nice. is, that is the highest of any of these one-year free agent pitchers. Mm-hmm. And I believe you knocked him out. <laughs> Wait, I picked him in the early round, didn't I? You picked Rich Hill over him, I think. I did? Oh, no, I thought I did. I had him in round one. At least. Well, so either way, he would have gone up against Brent Anderson the next time. <laughs> okay, anyway, fine. And All he right. would have knocked him out immediately. So <laughs> even if I did screw up and we can listen to the tapes and see what happened, okay. <laughs> I, I don't think he would have made it too far. But that's our number okay. one. Fair enough. Our number two 
which again was very shocking to me. And it's funny that you took him through longer last time than he did this time is Michael Waka. Mm-hmm. He's at 1.4. Okay. And then Carlos Rodon at one. Robbie Ray was your your most successful choice. Yay! <laughs> he finished second for you, and he's fourth overall at 0. 0.9. Tied uh-huh. with Alex Wood, mm-hmm. who finished third overall for you, also 0. 0.9. Mm-hmm. We have Matt Moore at 0. 0.9. Chatwood as well, but that could be some starter reliever mm-hmm. questions in there. Um, let's see, who else did you take? <laughs> so Matt Shoemaker, who finished, I believe, yeah, he finished fourth. At 0.3, was actually 14th ranked mm. in surplus. Okay. And would you care to guess Brett Anderson's surplus value? Uh, zero. Yep. Ah, <laughs> right see, on the mark. I don't know. I just think, you know, it's funny because everybody does this. You know, there's, you know, I didn't check our numbers at all. I have, I could right now. I could cheat and do it. But I think, you know, there's a there's a heuristic thing that happens in people's mind. Like, oh, you think Brett Anderson two and a half million? That's pretty good value. But then the numbers actually tell a different story. So it's fascinating. <clears throat> and then one last little question for you here: Who do you think's at the bottom of the list? Of all, um, probably. Let's see, either Arietta, do we have him? Um, Smiley? Not sure. The very bottom of the list is Jose Arania. Arania. You yeah. actually picked him over Fires. We have Arania okay. at, at negative 1.6 and Fires at negative 1.2. Well, that's close. Yes, it is. They're both <laughs> negative. <laughs> that's, that's another important <laughs> caveat I want to make here is that our model is built around projections that already have decently sized error bars. And then there are decently sized error bars on top of that within our model. So there's a point here where 2 million for Desclafati, 1.4 for Michael Lockett, that's essentially the same thing. <laughs> we're not we're not getting that nitty gritty here. And negative 1.2 for fires, negative 1.6 for Urania, that's essentially the same thing as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and there's no egregious overpays or underpays here. They're all sort yeah. of mostly floating close to the Which means here. it means two things. It means one that the market is working the way it should be, which mm-hmm. was which was a concern for a lot of people um, due to the the revenue impact of the pandemic. And it also tells us that our model is working correctly here, <laughs> in that more often than not, we're not seeing any of these free agent deals as significant underpays or overpays. They're usually right around like. It's pretty remarkable here that we've got 28 starting pitchers all signed to major league free agent contracts, and it's all within positive and negative two, the surplus yeah. value. We have yeah. Disclafani at positive two at the top, and Richard Urania, Richard Urania, I've done that a lot, Jose Urania at negative 1.6 at the bottom, and so that, that means we're, yeah. we're hitting. That's a good distribution curve. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, <clears throat> um, uh, it's, a, it's another sort of point I want to make, which is that we trust our model. We try to be, you know, as objective as possible and let the numbers kind of tell us what's happening as opposed to going with our own sort of subjective views, you know, because I think that's where we can get into trouble sometimes. You know, sometimes we have to do that a little bit if we're watching the market and trying to calibrate. But I think the, the most for the most part, we trust the model and it seems to work. That's actually a pretty solid segue into the next segment of the podcast, which is some of the uh, upcoming site news. So we've been doing so well uh, with our model 
especially this off season. I think we're both we both talked about it at length after we finished recording the last podcast episode about how happy we are with how this off season went for us. And so uh, you said you wanted to uh, give some of the listeners a bit of a glimpse into what might be coming next. Yeah. So a couple of things. First of all, we keep. Um growing the number of players in the database. When we started off, I think we had 2,300, and that has grown to, it's now at 3,200, just over 3,200, which is well over 100 players per team on average. Now, some of those are going to be unsigned free agents that are still in the quote TBD category, and maybe some of those guys will retire or fade away, we're not sure yet. Let's say 100 of them do, we're still at 3,100. We're still over 100 teams. I mean, sorry, 100 players per team. So the database has grown quite a bit. And part of that is just we keep adding um, you know, prospects as, as they kind of come on board with us. So that's one thing. <clears throat> um, we are gonna be making some enhancements to the site. One of the um, most common sort of requests that we've gotten is around sort of the upvoting and downvoting. And sometimes you make a trade proposal and you'll you'll be disappointed if it gets a lot of downvotes and you'll think, was it me? It's not, you know, like some people, I, I totally understand. I would feel the same way. Um, and so what's probably happening is they, they're, you know, people are voting on it based on is that a fit for the team? But it's not clear which team they mean. It's just a generic upvote or downvote. And so what we want to do is the old who says no sort of logic, which is make it team specific. So uh, coming soon, you'll have the ability to upvote per team. So if it's, you know, the Braves and the Angels, you could say yes. You could say upvote it for the Braves side or the downvote it for the Braves side. Conversely, you could say upvote it for the Angels side or downvote it for the Angels side. And so that kind of takes it out of the sort of realm of, you know, it's not a personal sort of thing against whoever um, proposed the trade. It's, it's making it more specific to the teams involved in the trade. So we think that's an important change, one that's, um, like I said, we've gotten a lot of requests for, and I think it makes perfect sense. <clears throat> Um, another enhancement is around including the cash uh, component in a trade. Um, a lot of you have noticed that it can only take whole numbers right now. It's actually a little wonky that you can't actually put decimals in, but nobody can figure it out. So we realized that was a problem. So we're going to make it a little simpler and actually make it easier to put like a 0 0.1 or a 0 0.2, and it'll show up in the simulator that way as well. So I think that's going to be a welcome fix, especially with these, some of these minor trades that are in fact a 0 0.3 for a 0 0.1 or whatever, you know, <clears throat> makes it a little more accurate. Um, there was another rule that we sort of behind the scenes had installed in the uh, simulator early on um, that it, it, in retrospect is probably not, it does more harm than good. And which is that we, we had a rule that said, um, like if you're making a high value trade, let's say Jose Ramirez, for example, um, and he's at 81 something. The rule is that the at least one player on the other side of the trade has to be worth at least 50%. So in that example, you'd have to have somebody at least, you know, uh, around 40, 41 to make it a viable trade and not get rejected by the simulator. Um, the intent of that was to sort of mimic how most real life trades work. There's typically like a valuable lead piece coming back and then a few other pieces in a trade like that. <clears throat> but um, we have seen some exceptions. Um, you know, the Mike Clevenger trade last summer comes to mind where the Indians took like six guys, none of whom were worth 50%. So it just felt like that was unnecessary. And most trades, we wanted to kind of, you know, <clears throat> trust our users and say, yeah, we can figure that out. It's true that most trades do have a lead piece like that, but not always. And so we didn't want to limit it to that. We also noticed that 
that can cause a problem with negative value trades as well. If a guy who's really negative, you know, the simulator was interpreting it as, oh, you need another negative, you know, uh, of 50% at least negative. Like that doesn't make any sense because sometimes you want to offset it with a positive and so on. So anyway, we're taking that whole 50% rule out because it just doesn't, it doesn't work. <clears throat> so that will mean that um, there's more you can play around with in the simulator that I think will make it more fun and realistic. And then um, <clears throat> uh, we're adding first names to the um, category, the the uh, player values list, to the highest and lowest. Um, so you can see that. So if you see like a Davis and a Davis, you can tell which one is Chris with a C and which one is Chris with a K. <laughs> so uh, a little clearer there. And then we'll see how that works. We can't add first names sometimes in the other places of the site because sometimes on a on a mobile phone that can get a little too wordy and so we're trying to be careful about that um but i know that's an issue as well in some places that we'll look at and then finally we improve the um speed of the site um, but we're watching that monitoring that to make sure there's um there were some technical things behind the scenes that were glitching and now we fix that so hopefully it's faster for everybody so those are the short-term improvements i just wanted to mention and finally um as a sort of a recap of the off season our overall numbers since august 19th <clears throat> excuse me um we're still at 95.9 percent of all trades have been accepted by our model with a error uh a margin of error of 1.5 which we think is pretty good so that's my update yeah that's an awesome update i think there's a lot of none of those are necessarily incredibly flashy changes to the site uh but there's a lot of really important quality of life stuff in there <clears throat> speeding up the site just making it more user friendly um as as you and I discussed after recording the last podcast episode, uh, we're heading into a little bit of the BTV offseason in a way. It's mm -hmm. weird. As soon as, as soon as the season starts up, teams stop making trades. People stop trying to make trade proposals. Some do still, but mm -hmm. to a much lesser extent. And then uh, we expect things to heat up in the summer months as we get closer to the trade deadline. So this mm -hmm. is kind of we're still going to be here. Let me make that very clear. Both of us are still going to be here. We're still still going to record podcast episodes. Still going to write articles. The site's going to be up. Simulators wide open. Everyone, anyone who mm -hmm. wants to use it, wide open. Um, but it's a bit of a time for us to reflect a little bit and make some of these changes, some of these mm -hmm. bug fixes, speed up the site wherever we can. And so. On that note, if there are any any other suggestions you have for changes to the site, any bugs that you come across, please, 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 please let us know at BaseballTradeValues at gmail.com or shoot us a DM on Twitter at BaseballValues. We really want to hear about it so we can fix it and make the site experience as strong as we can. And then just as a little bit of a teaser here, those ideas that we mentioned were a bit on the smaller end don't worry we do have some <laughs> some bigger picture ideas for the long term of where where btvs can end up they're not necessarily things we can announce right now not necessarily things that will <laughs> be implemented in the next few months uh they're they're more of longer longer term bigger picture additions upgrades changes uh but they are in our minds they are in the works and, and if you have any suggestions for things like that as well feel free to shoot it our way mm -hmm. absolutely all right, back to <laughs> our usually scheduled programming here. So let's let's jump into the trade of the week. Um, we're going to lead with this ahead of the news because, frankly, it's a little bit more interesting than the news <laughs> this past week. So this this trade of the week comes from user KXW, and it's it's based on a real life rumor that 
Uh, there's a little bit of buzz that the Padres have one more big move in them before the season starts. I, I don't know how much I buy it. <laughs> I don't know where else you could really add to the team. But in this deal, they would be adding to the bullpen. They're picking up Josh Hader, who we have at $15.5 million in trade value. In exchange, they would be sending three pieces to the Brewers. That's left-handed pitcher Adrian Morejon at $12 million trade value. Outfielder Jorge Ona, Onya, Onya, <laughs> at $2.8 million in trade value. And right-handed reliever Trey Wingenter at $1.3 million in trade value. So I, I have some reservations about this deal, but what's your first reaction to it, John? So let me just say, <clears throat> um, this has been a very interesting rumor over the last few days. Um, and it hasn't been picked up by any sort of legitimate pr- reporters. Um, there, there's a little bit of smoke because there was report. I saw a tweet from uh, Extra, which is a radio station that covers Padres, to saying, "Oh yeah, Prowler's working on this deal." And then Kevin, Kevin Acey, who's the beat reporter for the San Diego Union Tribune, I believe, uh, said something about, "I'd be shocked if it happened." Now, which could go either way. Which, is, you know, you could take it literally and say, "Oh, that's not happening." I'd be shocked if it did. Or you could say, "Actually, I've heard stuff about it, and it would be shocking if it did happen." In the sense that it would be a bigger deal than you even think. So, like, who knows what that means? And then finally, um, this morning, I saw a tweet from Robert Murray, who's really made a name for himself um, as a national reporter, and said, "There's nothing to it." So, I just wanted to be clear about that. These rumors have not been picked up or justified by any sort of legitimate reporter. Um, as far, as far as I can see, which is why you don't see it on MLBTR and you don't see it really picking up any steam from there. However, there have been some variations on that theme as well. So this trade of the week is just sort of a straight, okay, hater for, you know, three younger players typically. There's also been speculation that, um, you know, if it does happen, the Padres would be picking up uh, a bad contract from, from Milwaukee. Presumably that would be Lorenzo Cain. And because they've also said they wanted help in center field, um, like a backup center fielder. But then, you know, the the Brewers were rumored to be in on um, Jackie Bradley Jr., which made no sense unless you think, you know, they're trading Kane as a, in, potentially in a deal like this. So that's one another sort of wrinkle on this. A further really out there wrinkle had some rumors that Yelich was involved, which is totally <laughs> crazy. You know, and it's not out even of a background. left field, literally <laughs> and figuratively. <laughs> I mean, that's probably why AC said something like, I'd be shocked if, you know, like that's truly the shocking part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all very interesting. It's total total rumor fluff, though. I just don't don't think there's any sort of seriousness to it based on, on the, you know, what I've heard so far. So having said all that, I think this, this particular trade proposal is perfectly fine. You know, um, Padres would get relief help. Morejon is a young pitcher with some upside, very young pitcher with some upside, and the Brewers, you know, do need they, they don't have a very good farm so they'd be um i think that he'd be the lead piece i think it would be of more interest to them than anybody else onia seems like a fourth outfielder type wingender is hurt but he's got some talent in the bullpen he could potentially be a useful piece for them once he's healthy again so this trade at the moment has a good you know good positive negative ratio more ups than downs in our voting so so I think it's promising in that regard. Interesting that the other sort of uh, proposals we've seen around this rumor, like particularly ones with Hater and Kane as a package, are not getting upvotes. And that's probably because people are concerned, and we see this a lot, where a positive asset gets offset by a negative asset, and it kind of ruins the value of the positive aspect in people's minds. Like, oh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't have Hater as an offset for a 
you know, a salary dump. So I can get the, I can see that from a baseball point of view. I can see that from a, you know, oh, if you're going to trade Hater as a Brewers fan, you would want a lot back for him, you know. But if you throw in Kane, then you're not going to get anything back for him. So I think that's where the disappointment would lie. This is all very interesting, but I think it's totally speculative. <clears throat> yeah, I'm with you there. I honestly <laughs> think the timing for this is about as poor as it could be. I mean, there, there's a reason you don't usually see significant trades of this of this size of this nature this close to spring training and once teams have already reported and already because because at this point the brewers have had a full off season of maybe they haven't been the most active or aggressive team but it's been clear through all of their moves this off season that they want to compete they they signed colton wong they didn't sign him so that they could rebuild and trade josh Hader. and now they have a decent bullpen, especially with the emergence of Devin Williams, that they can maybe afford to lose a hater and repurpose the pieces elsewhere on the club. Uh, I know they are kind of lacking in starting pitching depth, reliable starting pitching depth, and so maybe Morihon even helps them in 2021 in that regard. But it's still just such a such a 180 from the rest of their decisions and everything else they've been saying all off season that it's the type of the move that would have either ha- either happened at the beginning or middle of the off season or it waits until the trade deadline. I, I have no <clears throat> yeah. no reason to believe the Padres aren't interested in Hader or that the Brewers wouldn't move him for the right package. I think the trade deadline is where we kind of see things settle in, where the Padres, maybe they're a couple games behind the Dodgers and they really want to make this push. Maybe they've had an injury under underperformance in their bullpen, because their bullpen's also pretty full right now. Um, it would be, they'd be lumping out a quality arm to make room for Hader. Yeah. So maybe maybe you wait until an arm struggles or gets hurt or something, and and maybe Hater's having a stronger second half, so that's helping out his trade value a little bit. Plus he'll get the October bonus that we talk mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. and maybe the Brewers have fallen out of it a little bit, and they're they're ready to sell a couple pieces like Hater, maybe even Wong. So th- this feels like something that I could 1,000% see happening. Maybe not this trade specifically because the values will bounce around, but. A deal like this, I can 1,000% see happening at the deadline. I can't imagine it happening this week. Yeah, no, that's it's it's a really awkward time. Usually, at this point, you don't see any sort of big trades happening. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, smaller ones. Now, I think there's a little bit of A.J. Preller magic vibes going on here. Like, oh, my God, what's he going to do next? Like, he's gotten everybody so route you know, wild up with crazy surprises. It's Darvish, it's Snell, it's it's this guy. It's, you know, he's, he's been going he went nuts uh, about six weeks ago and, and so people are like on edge like oh what's he gonna do next and like you hear uh, a rumor and you think okay he's got him in him you know he's a rock star gm he's bold so like a little bit of that i think is fuel fueling this um but one other point is um the brewers have a very sort of winnable situation on their hands there's not really a clear favorite in the nl central they've got good starting pitching in Woodruff and Burns. You know, they've got Yelich. They signed Wong. They've got Hira. Uh, you know, that's a winnable division. I mean, I know the cards just upgraded with Arenado, but, you know, the cards have their problems too. So, you know, and, and the Cubs, you know, ended up not selling off like people thought they would. So they're still in it, you know, um, and the Reds ended up not really selling much. So they're still in it. So it could go anyway. So I, the Brewers would be, kind of kicking themselves if they if they traded away one of their big assets so uh, yeah it you know unless they're out of it at the deadline it's hard to see this happening now yeah and, and i will add on that note about preller magic 
I think they're about the one team that could pull off a deal like this and not surprise me as much as the other 29 teams. Mm -hmm. But it still would be a bit of a shock for me to see this at this point in the the preseason that we're in now. It's not even the offseason anymore. It's the preseason. Yeah, right. Okay, but that being said, it's based off of a rumor and there is some logic behind the deal so thank you to user kxw for submitting this uh this proposal and as always if you would like to be featured on the podcast just submit your proposal and if people like it enough and if we like it enough we will discuss it let's roll into the news here and this is some (laughs) this is quite possibly the most lopsided news segment we've ever had there's one major signing a couple of real minor trades a handful of real minor signings, and that's about it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I acknowledge that's not the best way to sell our podcast to people <laughs> who look at the 20, 25 minutes remaining on the episode and say, should I listen to this? Uh, but I promise you, I promise you all, we'll, we'll make, make it fun. It fun. We, we do our best here. Uh, so that being said, let's jump into the big one here. The Mets signed Taiwan Walker. I alluded to this a little bit earlier. It's a two-year, $20 million deal with a player option for the third season. A player option is worth at least $6 million with some escalators and a $3 million buyout. It's it's a pretty straightforward deal here, and it's, it's their clear fallback candidate for missing out on Trevor Bauer, who there's been some reporting about how close he actually came to the Mets, and they might have mm-hmm. thought they had him for a bit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, they turn to Walkers to round out the rotation, and I think it's fine. I think it's a it's a fine move. I think Walkers is the younger free agent pitchers on the market. He's heading into his age 28 season, which is kind of <laughs> insane. Obviously, he doesn't have the, the healthiest track record or the most consistent track record, but he's always had the upside. He's always been at least a decent major league quality arm, and so I think uh, I think he's a good addition, especially at this price. Yes, he is. Um... Although it's a little bit overpay, but this another this may be another Juru Smiley situation where, you know, he's kind of perking up after you know after being out for a while. He did have a kind of a promising turn last year, so the projection systems maybe which we're basing our values on, maybe underselling him a little bit. Um, so you know we have it as a little bit of an overpay, but within sort of a a range that you know i could see it happening so i mean fair value we have it at 16.3 for the two years assuming and that's how we modeled it you know so it's a little bit under the 20 million but again he's got some upside if he if he continues on the path he was at the end of last year so i you know and and the mets can afford it obviously so that's not a big deal yeah i will say the obvious comparison you could make here is with uh jaco derizzi he's the other he's really the last quality arm that you really trust in, in any rotation in the league uh, that's left on the market here. So at this point in time, it was really the Mets choosing between Walker and Odorizzi, and we don't know exactly what kind of contract Odorizzi's going to get. Yeah. Um, but that I think that would feel a little bit safer to me for the Mets. Obviously, Walker is the upside play, and he's a guy you trust more to go two years because he is only 28. Um, but there's there's some injury risk there that's pretty significant, and there's a little bit of performance risk there that I think both of those don't necessarily exist with Odorizzi. And with the Mets' current rotation where you've got Carrasco, obviously he his injury, his most significant <clears throat> recent injury was leukemia. We don't expect that to come back, uh, but he is getting up there in age. Marcus Stroman, he's been banged up every now and then. 
And then it, it falls off a little bit after that, since they're still waiting for Noah Syndergaard to return from Tommy John, and who knows how long that'll take. Yeah. So I wonder if Odorizzi might have been a smarter addition for them. But on the flip side, they've done a really, really nice job this offseason of adding Major League Ready starting pitching depth. They did it uh, in, in one of their minor trades for Jordan Yamamoto. They picked up Joey Lucchese in that weird three-team deal. <laughs> they picked mm-hmm. up uh, Sean Reed Foley and Sam McWilliams in separate deals. Reed Foley from mm-hmm. the Dodgers, mm-hmm. McWilliams on a free agent contract. I believe there was another arm in that. Uh, sorry, Reed trade. Foley from the Blue Jays, my bad. Uh, yeah. There's another arm in that Blue Jays trade that I'm Yen-Z, getting right now. Yenzi Diaz. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so they've got some decent depth there. None of those names are ones that are going to light up the league, but there's a lot of teams whose sixth and seventh starters are a lot worse than Joey Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto. So yeah, I, I, I understand the upside play from that angle for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, um, <clears throat> you know, they're counting on Syndergaard coming back June or July, but I, I think they have to be realistic as well, because typically when you first come back from Tommy John, you know, you're obviously not going to be at full strength and full effectiveness. It's going to take a while. So, who he's a total wild card. You know, he may, you know, he may have the same effect as having traded at the deadline for an ace if he comes back at that level. He's already throwing in spring training, which is encouraging. So he may be slightly ahead of the curve in terms of his rehab. So I think they're optimistic there, which is maybe coloring the fact that, um, you know, they're, they're feeling okay. Um, I, I since we're talking about the Mets, I wanted to make two other points. Um, one interesting thing is that there was a tweet today that Chris Bryant said that um, he, he received a text message a while ago that said, oh, welcome <laughs> to the Mets, which he found interesting, but he wasn't sure where it was from. And then he called Jed Hoyer, uh, the GM of the Cubs, and said, no, 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 that's not true. But it's just sort of a curious thing because there were a lot of rumors about him going to the Mets um, at one point that they were talking, but there obviously those broke off and they didn't happen. But it's interesting to see if, it, in fact, that was indicative of something that was closer than we perhaps might have thought or whether it was just a prank. I don't know. Uh, one point yeah. there. Um, the other point, if I could, on the Mets, um, so they needed center field help, and they also signed, instead of signing like a Jackie Bradley Jr., they ended up signing two, Almora and Pilar, who we've talked about before. But I find it interesting uh, because they didn't really settle on like a starting center fielder. They settled on kind of two backups, and why two was curious. And meanwhile, JBJ is still out there without a contract, and um, it makes you wonder, like, I think he – he and Scott Boris may have over, overplayed his market. And so uh, I'm not sure where he's going to land because most of the teams have already settled on their rosters and, they're, um, and there's a lot of teams that might, the teams that you think could use him are very close to the salary cap and probably won't. So like Houston, for example. So I don't know where JBJ is going. I, I know I've t- gone total on a, a tangent here, but I just want to talk about JBJ for a moment because I think it's interesting that I think he overplayed his market. There was a, uh, I saw a tweet that said, um, he does have some offers, but the ball's in their court. In other words, um, they were probably low offers that he thought were too low for him, and so he didn't accept them. And he's probably pushed back saying, can you go higher? But I don't know if he's going to get anything high. I really don't. I think he's probably overpriced his market. We think he's probably more like I, – I think he's like a one-year, maybe $9 million-ish guy, two years, probably 15 in that range according to our model. And he's probably way over that. And it's also you see why Boris is going on like MLB radio and talking him up because he needs to generate interest in him. Um, so I think there's not much of a market for JBJ. Sorry, I rambled on there for a bit, but I just wanted to talk about that. No, no, I think that's really fair. I mean, the, the two top free agents on the market, this isn't this isn't like a lot of 
the past few off seasons where we've had guys just lingering and lingering. And then some of these like qualifying offer types don't even sign until after the draft. We don't really have that this off season, which is mm-hmm. a pleasant surprise given <laughs> some of the concerns we had, as I alluded to earlier with the, with the, how the pandemic affected revenues. Uh, we haven't had that. There's really only two major guys. There's some guys that'll, that are left out on the free agent market that will sign major league deals and play roles with clubs in 2021. Uh, but the two major guys in Odorizzi and Jackie Bradley Jr. And I think Odorizzi, Odorizzi is an easy fit anywhere, like I kind of said. Like, he's, he's probably not asking for too much. It'll probably be a one-year $15 million, two-year 22 24 something like that. Some modest deal like that. I don't know if it happens the next couple of days just naturally. I don't know if it's, oh, no. Uh, some some starting pitcher's forearm is barking right now. Let's go sign mm-hmm. Odorizzi, so we're good. Mm-hmm. One of those two, I, I feel pretty confident that that'll play out mm-hmm. within the next couple weeks or so. I don't think Odorizzi will be out there too long because, he, again, he doesn't have the qualifying offer stuck to him. But Jackie Bradley Jr., just with, as you mentioned, what, what's being reported that they're looking for a four-year or longer deal, I, I cannot imagine him getting that, especially at this point in the offseason. Maybe at the beginning of the offseason, when teams were still open to a lot of different ideas, when teams like the Astros hadn't spent any money yet, the Mets, whoever. Maybe at that point you see him getting a three- or four-year deal. But at this point, it's really hard to see him getting too much more than one or two years, like you said. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of said earlier how the trade market's pretty predictable. And right now, there's, the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a lot of fringe deals as teams kind of shuffle around their 40-man. They're accounting for some of the injuries that crop up in the first few weeks of spring. It's It won't be too many significant players. I mean, the, one, the only real late spring, uh, early season significant trade that I can remember was that wild Craig Kimbrell trade to the Padres back, what year was that, 2014, 2015, something like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's Preller, so yeah. <laughs> caveat there. <laughs> but it, it just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And so you can kind of predict the trade cycle. It's, it's a lot harder to predict kind of the free agent cycle. But honestly, I wouldn't be too surprised if Bradley goes into the season without a deal yet, just because of where things are right now and how there are, as you mentioned, there aren't any clear fits for him unless the Mets or the Astros decide to open up the pocketbooks. Yeah, no, he overpriced his market. I think that's clear. I mean, think back to last year. He was making $11 or so on the Red Sox, and they tried to trade him and could not find a taker, which means that $11 price tag was too much for the market. So how on earth could they think he would get even more as a free agent having now a one year older? Yes, he had a bit of an uptick offensively last year, but overall, he's pretty much the same guy, you know, good defense, average at best offense. Um, You know, and we've also seen a lot of center fielders who are glove first, not signing for much, you know, Almora and Marisnik and those guys. And now they're, they're cut below JBJ, but, you know. People are, I mean, teams are finding that they can replace a, a center, a defensive center fielder, mm-hmm. you know, rather inexpensively. We also see that the Rays have not been able to move uh, Kevin Kiermaier, who's stuck with a uh, an underwater contract that we think is underwater by about nine point seven million, because he's owed twenty six million over the next two years, and they're very similar, JBJ and KK, in terms of their their numbers and their sort of uh, profiles. So. <clears throat> um, you know, I don't think um, Bradley's getting any more, like I said earlier, than 215, uh, maybe 216. Um, 
so I think the fact that Kiermaier has not been traded says the market is not going to pay that much for a center fielder like that with that profile. The fact that JBJ is still out there says the market's not going to pay that much. So he just got to get the message and, and take the best deal he can at this point. I know Scott Boris is trying to talk him up, but people know people know what the deal is here. So for his sake, I hope he finds a home. Yeah, I think the only team with a strong incentive there is Houston, and maybe they hold out long enough to get him on a cheap deal. Mm-hmm. But if you're the Mets, and I think this is what the thinking is among many of these teams, <clears throat> and why they're not paying for defense-first center fielders. If you're the Mets and you already have Albert Omora basically for free, Kevin Pillar for a bit of a higher deal than either you or I anticipated, but still, in, in the grand scheme of things, not that much money. What are you really adding by committing an extra eight, ten million dollars a year to Jackie Bradley Jr.? I mean, yeah, right. It, you could. He probably has a better glove going forward than those two guys. But are you sure about that? Like defensive metrics haven't loved Jackie Bradley Jr. the last couple of years. He passes the eye test with flying colors, but the metrics haven't been a huge fan. And then the bat, yeah, sometimes it's been above average, but sometimes it's been well below average. It's been wildly inconsistent throughout his whole career. And so it's hard to really make a strong case that he'll be worth whatever money the Mets would spend compared to the, what they currently have in Pilar, yeah. Almora, and letting Nimmo fake it out there every now and right. then. <laughs> right. So I think the stronger argument there is in Houston, where right now I think they have Miles Straw starting every day in center field. Not sure yeah. how I feel about that for a team that wants to win the division. Right. Um, so that feels like a natural fit. But as you mentioned, they're pushing up closer and closer to that luxury tax, and it's only going to get more expensive um, as the years go on. And they try to keep guys like Correa and other contracts like Bregman's get more expensive, all of that, all that going on. Um, so it's hard to see them committing to much more than a one-year deal on Bradley. And Unless... Then, I'm sorry, unless they get creative with like, you know, maybe they lower the AAV and spread it out a little bit with or backload it or something, you know, and, and try to fill Deferrals. the hole that way. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I could see that for sure. The one last argument I want to make here, because we've talked a lot about Jackie Bradley Jr. for the Mets, <laughs> for a discussion that started with the Mets signing Taiwan Walker. So the one last <laughs> point I want to make here, I forget where I saw it, but I, I heard this idea brought up and it's really interesting, actually, is... The composition of the baseball. So this has mm-hmm. been a... We could record a whole 10 episodes of podcasts about the history of the baseball's composition and what's happened in the last 10 years alone. But it's pretty widely accepted that the ball was juiced in 2020, and it has been juiced for a few years now. And now for the first time, public reports have come out from the league saying, we're going to make some changes here, and we're going to see what happens. And so... If the changes with it, it, it's it's implied a little bit, and and there were kind of counteracting changes that they announced. So it's some changes that might have made the ball more lively, some changes that might have deadened it. So it's a little unclear of exactly what'll happen, but it's implied that the intent of these changes was to deaden the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so if the ball is a little deadened, and suddenly these balls that were leaving the park by five feet are now hit to the warning track. Does that make a defensive center fielder more important because there are more balls for them to potentially reel in at the wall at the warning track? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of thing. Uh, that's the kind of thing that if we did see Bradley get this big deal, we, and if we did see Kiermaier get traded somewhere for higher than we expected, we could definitively say, yes, teams are operating under this assumption. 
but I think teams are just as confused as all the rest of us and all of the physicists and I know <laughs> Mer- Meredith Wills, a little literal astrophysicist who has been studying the composition of the baseball for years now. She doesn't really know what's going to happen <laughs> from these changes. So I think it's it's a league-wide just kind of shrug <laughs> of this ball's going to act differently than it has before. We don't exactly know how, and so we're not going to make any huge financial commitments on the assumption that it will in a certain way. Yeah, it's like a, well, believe it when we see it, take it one step yeah. at a time kind of thing. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind with that is a homer-prone pitcher like a Matthew Boyd of the Tigers might find that he's getting a lot more outs caught mm-hmm. in the field, you know, and that might you know, drag down his numbers a little bit, which improves his value a little bit. Now everyone will know, oh, it's because of the dead ball, but nonetheless, it makes him a more valuable pitcher because, you know, that's the ball everybody's playing with. So, um, you know, that's that's one thing I could see. Guys who have a tendency to give up more homers may become a little bit more valuable if that in fact happens, but it's too early to tell. Yeah, and just from a personal standpoint, I like that idea in theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I like... I like Kevin Kiermeyer. I like Jackie Bradley Jr. I like Ramon yeah. Mariano. I, w- yeah. I like watching a an incredible defensive center fielder go make that crazy catch near the wall or diving in the gap or whatever. And yeah. it's a it's a little unfortunate that a higher percentage of those have gone over the wall than <laughs> than have in previous years. Um, I, I'd like to see a guy like Bradley stick around on a on a major league club for a few years, but in the current market and the way the current game operates, it, it just seems pretty unlikely. Yeah. I mean, it, it was yeah, starting to get to the point where it was like in the steroid era where you had like average second baseman hitting 30 home runs. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> four home run game. What has yeah. he done since then? <laughs> yeah. So like, okay, that's when, you know, something's got to change, you know, cause that's a little too many homers. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully it averages out now. Yeah. Okay. I think we've talked about, Taiwan Walker, who, uh, <laughs> may I remind you, started this conversation. <laughs> I think we've talked about we him. We said we'd make it fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. That's true. All right. Let's 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 move on ahead to, uh, to some of these minor trades here. So the first one we have is the Pirates picked up Dustin Fowler from the A's. Uh, last week we talked about all the moves the A's made and how it made their 40-man so crowded, and they're going to have to make some changes here. I anticipated a trade of some sort. I guess this is technically a trade, but yeah. it wasn't exactly what I saw coming. Uh, they ended up, for one roster spot, they moved Frankie Montas to the COVID-19 injured list. Um, so that'll have to be... There's still a roster spot to be resolved once he gets activated in the next handful of days. Mm-hmm. That'll be down the road. Um, for, to clear the other two spots, they designated uh, Paul Blackburn for assignment, and maybe we see a minor trade for him in the coming days, or he clears waivers, goes to AAA, whatever as well as Dustin Fowler, and the Pirates picked him up from the A's in exchange for cash considerations. We had Fowler at $0.3 million in trade value. He was among that first class of prospects where we first realized, huh, the teams aren't giving them opportunities. That kind of implies something about what the team thinks about them, and then as a result, what the league thinks about them. Yep. So he was he was one of the first recipients of a negative adjustment from the Luis Urias rule. Exactly. Him, him and Franklin Barreto were two of the top ones there, and, and it's that, working. That's natural because <clears throat> because yep. John and I have watched the A's fairly closely over the years. Um, yep. So we knew these two guys really former top prospects fell out of favor. Not really worth much in a trade, and and that's what we see here. Like like you said, it's working. I mean, they, they yeah traded him for cash considerations. He's out of options. 
He hasn't made any kind of big league impact. He's already 26, had some injuries in the past, has real plate discipline concerns, not necessarily a center fielder defensively. There's enough going against this guy that, yeah, he's he's a cash considerations type of yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a tweener. I mean, so so we had – here's where subjectivity does come into play to some degree. But we it's, it's not, maybe not so much about subjectivity as it is about reading the front office patterns. Yeah. If yeah. they're not playing the guy, that means they don't think he's good enough. You know, um, and every team does this. You can, you can see the parents. If they gave him a chance at the major league level and then they 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 – they dropped him back down to the minors and didn't give him another chance and, and or passed him over on the depth chart and or traded for somebody else who they thought was better. We saw that happen with Barreto. We saw that happen with Fowler. We thought, okay, this guy is not a 55 prospect. He was once a top 50 prospect with a 55 rating. We can't obviously stick to that if we see those patterns happening by the front office decisions. And we, so so we have to sort of make those adjustments. And sure enough, it turns out to be right. He, he's 0.3 and he goes for cash considerations. So I'm glad that we're working it this way now because it seems a lot more <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and these two guys specifically, I mean, these were positions of need for the A's for a few years there. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they're still projected pretty weakly at second base. And if they had believed, and they have been for the last two, three years, ever since Jed Lowry left for New York. Mm-hmm. And so if they had believed in Franklin Barreto even a little bit, they would have given him the full-time job and seen what they could get, but they didn't. And that was pretty indicative of how they felt about him. Fowler, to a bit of a lesser extent here, since Ramon Laureano kind of burst onto the scene and took that spot. But they have had some outfield issues over the years, and they've, as you mentioned, they made other additions instead of Fowler, whether it's Robbie Grossman or some of their some of their minor additions this offseason in terms of Kai Tom or Cody Thomas in that trade with the Dodgers. And so they just keep, if they keep adding players on the depth chart ahead of a player, ahead of a former top prospect, you can kind of assume that they're no longer considered a top prospect. And right. I, I would like to thank, personally thank Eric Longenhagen and Fangraphs for some of the work that they've implemented the last couple seasons, especially where th- this last couple of weeks, these were prospect weeks for Fangraphs. And as part of their prospect weeks, they include a little blurb on some of the players who have graduated and kind of where they have them. And in the past, that was kind of uh, just a big question mark where a player graduates like Luis Urias and you never really hear about him again from a prospect evaluator. So the best we can kind of do is blend what the prospect evaluators thought with what we've seen at the major league level and hope the number is right. Right. Well, we've heard more and more in the last few years, especially from Long and Hangin, but also from other outlets about how they see players like Fowler and Barreto and these other postgraduate types after they've already graduated and say, yeah, we, we, we do see he's fallen down a little bit. He hasn't looked the way he thought he would, the way we thought he would at the major league level. And so we're, we're bumping him down a grade or whatever it is. Yeah. And the other thing we, we can notice is there are patterns even before they become, while they're still prospects, you know, a lot of times their stock drops and you got to look at the reasons why that stock drops. Maybe they strike out too much. So that is a consistent sort of red flag. And that was the case with Fowler. That was the case with Barreto. It's the case with a lot of other guys who just can't control the strike zone. And more, you know, the, that is that is something that I certainly keep a, keep an eye out for because that is a, is a real telltale sign that most front offices don't have confidence in them that look at their opb that's a sort of you know i know it's a simple shortcut but if they can't you know even make a 300 opb 
you know, that's that's a red flag, and that, that's that's generally not a major leaguer. So um, at a certain point, you have to, you know, look at these patterns and say, okay, that's, you know, that, that guy's stock has dropped. <clears throat> On the flip side of this, though, smart pickup by the Pirates. They don't have their outfield very full right now because they don't have any of their major league roster very full right now because they're right. the Pirates. <laughs> but... I mean, if there's a team to take a chance on this guy, give him a couple hundred plate appearances, see what see what happens. It's the Pirates, yep. and, and they might really come out on top of this because as much as his stock has fallen, there's things you can see in Dustin Fowler in his swing, in the kind of player that he is, and, and you can like it. And there's enough enough idea of an upside there that it makes sense for them. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe the change of scenery will perk him up. And the last time he was good was when he was at AAA with the Yankees, and you know where they played? Scranton, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, not far from Pittsburgh. So maybe that's think, what it is. I'm back in Pennsylvania. <laughs> that's what it is. You see, you see, that's why you're on the podcast as well, because I could not provide that type of analysis. To me, the entire East Coast is one big blob. Oh <laughs> now yeah. That, no. Now that you're living out there, you, you can make those kinds of oh yes. <laughs> those kinds of regional points, right? There. I I know my Pennsylvania towns. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we, we've talked more about Dustin Fowler than anybody else has in the past year, so let's move <laughs> on. Uh, this one, more recent minor deal here. The Angels picked up Jack Mayfield from the Braves. When on earth was he on the Braves? That's that's new yeah. to me. No, he was. Well, he didn't actually play with them, but yeah. it was a move a couple months ago. Yeah, so we had him in a flat zero in surplus value. Um, he, he's a versatile infield-outfield type, older, only 30 or already 30, excuse me. Um, but one of those late career sort of breakout types in the minor leagues who hasn't translated any of it to the major league level, probably a mirage, but he is a versatile player. And so he goes to the Angels now in exchange again for cash considerations. And they designate an infielder, Robel Garcia, to make room for him on the 40 man. Yeah, I don't get this for the Angels. Uh, I mean, obviously it's a fair deal in terms of, I mean, we assume the cash considerations were very minor because there's really no surplus here. Um, I don't get this one for the Angels because they signed Iglesias, they have Rangifo, they got Fletcher playing either second or short. Um, they seem like they're covered, but I guess they felt like they needed more depth. And on the flip side, the Braves don't seem to have much depth. They've got, you know, um, you know, once you once you get the level between, um, if you're looking for depth below Swanson and Malby's, it's a short and second. You've got Camargo, who's usually covering third, but he can do those other two. But that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where do you go after that now? So they're going to maybe, I'm sure, look for a depth guy somewhere else. I don't know what, why did uh, why didn't they keep Mayfield for a depth guy? It's a curious thing. <clears throat> yeah. Is Charlie Colberson still there? No. They let him go as well. <laughs> Where is he? Uh, it's hard to picture him in anything other than a Braves uniform. Yeah, well, point. he always ends up there, right? Yeah, yeah. They'll trade for him in a month or two. Don't worry. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, I, I I that's a good assessment right there. That the Angels have a lot of infield versatility and depth, and the Braves don't. So this makes doesn't make the most sense there. Yeah, Coberson um, is on the Rangers right now. Um, I believe it's a minor league. No, I, I got the minor league. It's got to be anyway. a minor league deal at this point. Yeah, and he may not last, so then he'll go back with the Braves. Yeah. <laughs> Makes enough sense. I mean, Mayfield is one of these types that'll probably bounce around the league for the next few years and yeah. maybe maybe find his way overseas unless there's some big breakout we're we're missing out on here. But but the other thing is, there's always. Um, 
you know, guys who are DFA'd, who are utility infielders, this is one of the most common positions. So it's easy to pick up an Ildemiro Vargas or a Ehiri Adrianza. Or, or even you know, Robel Garcia. Or Robel Garcia, right yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had, like, an interesting week for the Cubs. And yeah. that's about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I'm sure the Braves can just grab one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, now we're moving into some of these minor free agent signings. Let's start with the Yankees re-signing Brett Gardner. I mean, uh, from my perspective, on the West Coast here, with that caveat, this seemed inevitable from day one. Do, do you get a different read on the East Coast there? No, no, no not at all. Everyone kind of knew this was going to happen, and they were just sort of waiting for the Yankees to kind of do all their other stuff first. And then they said, okay, we'll get to it. Like there was a report that they hadn't talked to him since October, but I have a funny feeling. It was like, we'll get back to you. <laughs> and yeah, they did. Yeah. So yeah. And he signed for what? Two and a half million or something. It was just enough to keep him under the luxury tax. Yeah. So he gets 2.85 million in 2021. And then second year, I, I, there were a handful of clubs that did this with, with their contracts on their second year options where it's kind of a, it's a mutual option that isn't a mutual option. <laughs> it's a, so they get a lower base value on their player option for the second season. In Gardner's case, it's $2.3 million. But if he declines that option, the Yankees have a $7.15 million club option, or they can buy him out. So we, this happened in a couple other deals. Um, I also saw a pretty funny tweet that was just <laughs> it was implying that the Yankees we're talking with both Brett Gardner and Justin Wilson and just put them in a room and said, Hey, we got this much money under the salary cap. You guys can fight it out over who gets how much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they basically signed the same deal, right? So yeah, yeah I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm yeah. sure, no, I'm sure their agents were involved, <laughs> but, but it's a funny thing to think about because they, they ended yeah. up exactly the same deal. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's along the same lines here as Yadier Molina. Can you picture Yadier Molina with any other yeah, club? No. no. Can you picture no. Brett Gardner with any other no. club? No. 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 <laughs> and at this point in their careers, that's no. I think a, a significant portion of both of those contracts. Maybe less so for Brett Gardner because it is a lower guarantee than Yadier Molina got. But at this por- portion in their careers, this point in their careers, at least some portion of their contract is because they're. Yankee lifer Brett Gardner and Cardinal lifer Yadier Molina. Like there's some, there's some level of overpay that is happening here because these guys are on these teams and have been on these teams forever. Yeah. Although Gardner was pretty good last year. So I think there's some value here. I think they each gave a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. That one's, that one's pretty simple. I mean, there's not a whole lot to break down there. He'll be kind of a, a depth option for them. Mm-hmm. Get some pinch hit, maybe maybe platoon a little bit, depending on how things go. Mm-hmm. Now let's head back to Atlanta, where we discussed their infield a little bit, but they also signed Jake Lamb. So he'll get a one-year uh, major league deal, but it's non-guaranteed, which means he can be cut in spring training and they only pay a portion of his salary. Um, the salary will be $1 million if he does make the major league roster. And so this makes a lot of sense for them. They were a team that was kind of lacking a true third baseman. <clears throat> Camargo was penciled in there, either Camargo or Austin Riley, um, some sort of timeshare between the two of them. And now they bring in Lamb, who he struggled for the D-backs the last couple seasons and then really performed well when the A's picked him up. The A's picked him up when uh, Matt Chapman went down with his injury last season, and he performed well for them. Um Really, really a decent hitter against right-handed pitchers down the stretch for them. Mm-hmm. So now the Braves will take that chance, and I, I think it makes a world of sense for them. And on such a low salary, on a 
sort of split contract. There's no real risk there. Yeah. Um, using all the production systems that we use in our model and everything, um, we have a fair value at one. And his salary is one, so there's no surplus. Mm -hmm. And that takes into account the fact that he's been in decline and injured quite a bit. So, you know, that last month or two with the A's perks him up a little. You know, maybe he's got, got something left, and, and this is a good sort of value sign for the Braves. Certainly no risk, as you pointed out, so why not? In a way, he's sort of their Matt Joyce replacement. Joyce yeah. was a really solid left-handed pinch hitter for them, and I, I think L Lamb could fit into that same role if he doesn't outright win that third base job. So I like this for them. It's 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 a small move, but it's the type of small move that good teams are good at making. Yes, but it also sort of raises the question: What's going on with Austin Riley and the Braves' plans? Mm -hmm. You know, that, there's been is... a question about that for a while now, and this is like another curious sort of read between the lines kind of thing with that. And now it may be that Lamb doesn't make the team and then it's a non-issue, but it makes you wonder. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a team that, as you mentioned, is pretty shallow on the infield and doesn't really have a long-term answer at third base other than Riley, but they also seem a little bit hesitant to give him just that full time. Here you go. You're ready for it. Let's go. Yeah. So you, you kind of wonder, and that, that, I think that played into a lot of the trade proposals we saw on the site during the yep. offseason with them yep. where a lot of proposals had them trading Riley away. Yeah, we saw a lot of proposals with Jose Ramirez and Eugenio Suarez and Matt Chapman and all, every, all the good third basemen. You know, lots of people want him to go to the Braves. Yeah, and, and almost every single one of them had Riley going to the other team as a replacement, kind of like mm -hmm. how all of the all of the Mets third base deals had yep. J.D. Davis going to the other team yep. as the kind of MLB-ready replacement. So yep, yep. It, it seems like this might be Riley's last ride with the team, if anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what do they do if he disappoints again this season? Yeah, I mean, he's a bit of a roster concern. Yeah, because now the corner outfield spots are taken, and yeah, he, like you would have thought, you know, move him to left field. Maybe that could still happen if the DH comes back and he can move Azuna to the DH spot, and maybe if Riley starts hitting enough to be a left fielder, and that's still mm -hmm. a question as well. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, now we're heading to Tampa Bay, where the Rays re-signed Chaz Rowe to a major league deal. It'll be worth 1.15 million guaranteed. That's a it's a logical addition to their bullpen, a logical reunion between the two sides. Um, we've mentioned before the Rays have shuffled around their bullpen as they always kind of do while they're trying to shuffle around the major league, uh, the 40-man roster there. And so, I mean, Rowe's been pretty consistent against right-handed pitchers he's got a nasty slider has some trouble with lefties because of it but really reliable against righties and they're a team that really knows how to deploy that kind of pitcher so it yeah. makes a lot of sense on both sides here they kind of restock their bullpen a little bit not a whole lot else to get into and dead even on the value 1.2 field value according to our model and he signed for 1.2 so mm -hmm. we're good <clears throat> yeah Another relief addition, the Diamondbacks agreed to a deal with Tyler Clippard. He learned a guaranteed $2.25 million with a mutual option for 2022. Uh, Clippard is 36 now, but he still just keeps chugging along. I was just going to say, I can't believe he's still still around. It's a, gets it's to a, work every year. <laughs> it's a different kind of 36. At least it feels like a different kind of 36 than a guy like Sergio Romo or Yusmero Petit, mm. just to name a couple of the other older relievers that have kind of hung around. Like Romo, you see he's a bit in that Chaz Rowe mold, Chaz Rowe mold uh, yeah. where he, he's never had the velocity and 
just got that one he's, slider. Yeah, he's always everything. been relying on that wipeout slider. Yeah. And Petit's a little similar, where he kind of came into a late career resurgence. He, he Again, he really never had too much velocity and just worked on his off-speed and command. Clippard used to have some velocity, and it's it's since deteriorated. But his changeup and splitter are just so good that they that it doesn't matter <laughs> that he's he continues to get outs and be a productive reliever anyway. So not a bad addition for them. A team without a clear late inning option there. They signed Joaquin Soria, and they have a really young bullpen around him. So it makes sense to add some a veteran presence there. Yeah, I guess so. I'll tell I'll tell you one thing for for Taylor Clippard. He sure looks like a reliever, doesn't he? He's got the glasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah like the, but not the most athletic looking guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You you never see guys with the sport goggles. You, very rarely do you see those guys playing on the infield or anything like that. <laughs> right. They're almost always relief pitchers yeah. specifically. Yeah. Uh, at least that's my take on it. Um, so, I mean, it seems like the D-backs are kind of in the middle ground of the NL West right now. Um, they're, they're nowhere near the Dodgers and the Padres, but they're also nowhere near the Rockies and probably a bit better than the Giants. So it's no. seeming like a 500-ish team. And, you know, at the worst case, they move Clippard and Soria at the deadline for some sort of little lottery ticket. Yeah, and there was a good piece in The Athletic that I saw about Mike Hazen. And, you know, he had this philosophy that, um, you know, they don't want to tank. Um, you know, he's very realistic about where they stand. Yeah. He sees what the Dodgers and Padres are doing. And he knows he's not going to compete with them. But at the same time, he doesn't want to totally tank uh, because he feels like that's bad for the morale of the team. And, you know, they want to always try to be competitive and have a positive attitude. So at least he's trying, which is commendable. Um, he's also got a very good farm coming. I, they, and they keep yeah. sort of, you know, appreciating in value. Their stocks keep rising, you know. Guys like Corbin Carroll and Christian Robinson are coming. And uh, so I think they've got a bright future. It's just they've got a... It's interesting because the Dodgers and Padres are so stacked and also so sustainable because they're going to be good for several more years. And so even if the Diamondbacks farm does come to fruition, like that may, is that, does that become a 318 race in 2023 or so? It's going to be interesting. Um, I have more confidence in that happening than I do in the Rockies turning it around. The Giants are also going to be competitive. They've got a stronger farm now and they're coming. So the NL West is going to be very interesting in 2023-ish. Uh, right now it's a two-team horse race, but uh, at that point, watch out. Yeah, I, I'll, I really like the Diamondbacks organizationally, and I'll say that with a caveat, like I'm admitting my bias here. I've been living in Arizona the last four years, the Phoenix area, so I've, I've had some slight level of rooting interest in the Diamondbacks because I have a lot of Diamondbacks fans mm -hmm. as friends. But it seems like organizationally they're run fairly well. And I mean, there there was a report that came out this week that they're one of a few, if any, other major league teams that are still implementing pay cuts for employees, and that's a little bit suspect. Mm -hmm. But as far as what they've done on the field and with their farm system, I think it's commendable. They had a draft, I think it was two years ago, where they just had like nine picks in the first five rounds or something insane like that. They They they've done a great job of accumulating mm -hmm. talent while, like you said, not actually tanking here. They traded Paul Goldschmidt and I think they did really well in that trade, but they didn't blow everything up. Mm -hmm. They still, they've still remained maybe not competitive, but at least they've kept their heads above water. And so they have the strong farm system coming. It'll be ready in a year or two. And I think at that point for them to compete with the Dodgers and the Padres, it's just a matter of how aggressive Hazen's going to be. It, that's that's the thing that the Dodgers and Padres 
have done is that they've paired their well above average player development and farm systems with aggression at the major league level, with going out and signing the Bauer or trading for a Darvish or whatever the move may be. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a question of whether the D-backs are going to kind of sit on uh, sit on their hands and let Robinson, Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, let these guys come up to the bigs, join a team with Cattell Marte and some other significant pieces, some of the trade pieces from the Granke trade, uh, Corbin Martin, J.B. Buscaskis, mm-hmm. and they let all these guys develop together and just sit, in their, sit on their hands and say, okay, we got our young talent to the big leagues, we did our job, or whether they supplement that core with free agents, trades, significant major league pieces yeah well hopefully the economy and everything else covid and so forth will be you know by the time they're good they can you know those issues will have faded away and yeah they can spend a little bit yeah definitely all right that's the last significant transaction we have to go over we have one more we want to just hit on really quickly here and that's harold ramirez so he's a guy that i've always liked a little bit and the Marlins and the Marlins fans, well, maybe not the Marlins themselves, but Marlins fans fell in love with the guy. He's one of those kind of late bloomers, never a huge prospect outfielder types. I believe he was he was like a mid-ranked prospect with the Pirates at one point, and then kind of bounced around a little bit and found his own with the Marlins. Um, played decently well in 2019. Didn't get a whole lot of playing time in 2020 because of you know, all everything that went on with the Marlins, the COVID outbreaks, all of that nonsense, and they had just a pretty crowded outfield anyway. Um, but he was a bit of a, a roster casualty for them. Um, I believe he was who they DFA'd when they added Dylan Floro mm-hmm. to their 40-man roster. Might have been another player. I don't know. Um, but he was DFA'd, and the Marlins fan base, fan base wasn't too happy about it. And now he's been claimed by the Indians, by Cleveland. And they were not too happy about that part either, that he was just a straight waiver claim and not a trade for something of value. But we have his median trade value at exactly zero. So there there was some sort of a disconnect there between what the fan base saw in Harold Ramirez and what the numbers saw. So every, we know this to be true, every fan base has a tendency to overvalue its players, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of their trade value. And the smarter fans among, especially the ones that come to our site, tend to be realistic and say, okay, I know I'm a homer, so I'm going to have my bias. And so I think that's commendable. Um, and so I think, and I saw some some tweets coming back to us and said, okay, I'm a homer, and I, but I still can't believe he had zero value. But, you know, it's just like, yeah, that was, a, I thought, a very interesting comment. Um, I wanted to sort of point out, though, I made the point earlier that OPB is kind of a red flag and... Um, you know, he's a kind of guy, even in his best season, well, he only had the one good season, 2019. He hit for reasonably good average, 276, but his OPB was only 312, which he's only got, a, he only had a 4% walk rate. I mean, that's a guy, it's not like his K rate was that bad, but it was just like he wasn't really walking. And I just wanted to point that out again, is that a, that's a telltale indicator. So even in that good good year, his WRC plus was only 93. That was 7% below league average. So the Marlins fans may have found, fell in love with him, you know, and sometimes that happens on a, at the time they were a losing team where you think, okay, well, at least this guy's hitting, you know? And so they, they tended to, to, to gravitate to at least a bright spot, you know, on a bad team. Um, but he wasn't really hitting. If you actually look at the advanced numbers, he was 7% low below league average and he ended up with only 04 
war, F war, in a full season. And further, he was bad defensively. Um, so, and then he got worse in 2020. He had negative F war. Um, projections for this year are either zero or negative, which is why we have him at zero trade value. Um, Zips hates him. They, Zips has <laughs> minus 0. 0.9. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> you know, um, so, so there's not much there. And he's projected to have, you know, a low OPB and a low, you know, even worse WRC+. plus. So that's why he has no trade value. And he really wasn't, to your point, really wasn't much of a prospect, and he's kind of past that point anyway. So we're just looking at a replacement-level player um, making replacement-level money, which is why there's no surplus. Yeah, and I take no issue with Cleveland taking a chance on him, given the mm-hmm. state of their outfield. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is a guy, he is still just 26, and he is he has shown some level of major league performance in the past, and maybe maybe there's a little bit of something to tap into there. And that's better than they can say for a lot of the other outfielders on their 40 man uh, in Cleveland. So I see the logic from their standpoint. Also see it from the Marlins for sure. And yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good explanation of why he didn't bring anything back in a trade. Mm -hmm. Well, but good good luck to him in Cleveland. Yes. So we prefaced this episode by saying there wasn't much news and we still managed to go an hour and a half. Yeah. (laughs) And Hater wasn't even traded. We just we just talked about the rumors of that. So okay. Right. <laughs> but hey, I mean, we're hitting right about that 130 mark. I think it was a good episode for us. And uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully there's a little bit more news to talk about in the coming weeks. Otherwise, we'll have to get a little bit creative with some of our topics. But uh, for now, I think this was a pretty strong episode. Yep, that was fun. All right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, if you find any issues with the site or have any suggestions for the site in the future, please do reach out to us at those uh, two locations. We'll be back next week to break down any more offseason, preseason now, any more preseason news that, uh, that comes up in the next week or so. And maybe we'll have another fun topic or two to pass the time. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the rest of spring training. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.